Space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission, to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. Well, hello again. This is Buck Benny speaking. I'm joined with my friends Jim and Bob. And we are talking about uh, Star Trek uh, Strange New Worlds, episode number seven, right? Six, six, wow. six. Thank you. And six. Yeah. And uh, this episode is the first five were released to uh, preview audiences and podcasters and things. So we got to see all. No, actually, we're not that level. They didn't send us all five, <laughs> but they did to other people. Everybody that has a bigger podcast than us, they sent to five episodes too. So I was kind of wondering in the back of my mind, it's like, okay, did they front load the best five? And then, they, but they do seem to kind of, I don't think they could completely disjoint them from each other. I think they sort of, even though they don't have a through thread throughout the whole thing, they are, they do have some character pieces that go on. So I don't think they could completely enter them out of order. So I think we are getting them in the order that they were supposed to be released. Anyway, so I was wondering if if six would be weaker. And to me, uh, spoilers, uh, and spoilers all over the thing. To me, it, it really was a little weaker. I think Jim and Bob both liked it better, which is fine and dandy. I'd love to hear that. I just had a few issues with it. I don't, I would say this. I would say I loved episodes one through five. Six, I liked. I I didn't I didn't love it. So that would be the, the difference. It was still an enjoyable episode. Uh, anyway, let's go to um, Jim was going to say something about it maybe. And well, I, I, I would say one through four were really good. Five was kind of a downer for me. And then uh, six was actually better than five for me. Probably maybe not as good as some of the other ones, but Okay. The, the way I saw this episode, you know, like you were talking about how it seemed like they kind of uh, cheaped out on the ending. They just kind of wrapped everything up really quick. Right. That was before we started talking. So let me just emphasize that to people. I was saying I was kind of comparing it to some of the Star Trek Next Generation, especially the first season episodes, where they'd spend a lot of time on the story and then it'd feel like, Oh my gosh, I've only got 10 minutes left. They got to solve this. And so then they would come up with a real quick solution and it'd be done. That's kind of how this felt. It felt like there was a lot of buildup and a lot of uh, getting us to know all these characters and everything. And then it kind of went the way that I think most of us thought it was going to go. Uh, at some point we're going, okay, it sounds like they're sacrificing this kid. Not, not going to do this whole ascending thing seems weird. And so uh, it did go that way and it went that way really quickly and then it was over and it so I was just going okay I felt like there should be more of a payoff the other thing that the guys don't know about this episode I don't believe that I know maybe is that an that IMDB anyway it's listed that this was an original plot or original concept written by Gene Roddenberry and that they were taking it and it was never made into an episode I don't know if that's true. As far as when you watch the episode, people that watch the credits say there's no mention of Gene, and you'd think they'd have to mention Gene if that was the case. 
I don't know. I would assume IMDb might be wrong, but when I was watching, when I heard that, it totally made sense to me because I went, oh yeah, this is how I usually feel after I watched like one of Gene Roddenberry's um, pilots that he had in the 70s, whether it was the the Strange New Worlds. He had a, actually he had a series called Strange New Worlds or a pilot for a series anyway. And he had Genesis 2 and he had a bunch of things that sort of had this feel to them of covering too much ground and then having to close up the end really fast. And so anyway, the, so it wouldn't surprise me if this was based on a, a gene treatment or whatever, but anyway, which, which would make it cool. If that was the case, it makes me enjoy it a little bit more. Cause I go, Hey, that's kind of cool that they were honoring Gene Roddenberry by bringing one of his scripts along. But uh, anyway, uh, so that takes us to where Jim was just talking about. So Jim, go ahead. Oh, so for me, it doesn't, I, I don't think that they wrapped it up quickly in the end, right? They, they didn't solve the problem in the end. You know, if, right. if, if they had, in the end, they had gotten the, the kid out and done all of that really quick and everything else and figured out everything else and wrapped that all up. Yeah. Yeah. Quick the end, yeah. Then maybe you might say that, but basically the way I saw this episode was it's like where everything is normal. Everything's good. They think they're, they're helping these people do what, what is right. And then they find out that there's this bad thing to them that's happening, but it's 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 part of their culture that this is normal. And then at the end, you know, there's they can't really change it. They can't really do anything. You know, it, it that's the way it is. And that these other cultures are going to have things that they don't like that that they don't maybe agree with. Um, but it's but now really the, what we see, though, out. is Pike still tries to change it. I mean, Pike is fighting them at the time to try and not have at them. The time, and at that So what he's doing, what I have to assume is what he's doing is not what he should be doing. He should just be going, oh, I mean, if, he, if he's totally acting in Starfleet mode, he would say, okay, I got to let them do what they're going to do because this is their society and the way the way society functions. So in the moment, he well, was moment, acting against Starfleet and just in, on emotion and on his own thoughts. Right. But it's then thing, the yeah. reason he doesn't get the starship to come down there and attack the civilization, to try and save this kid or anything is because it, it, it would go against everything Starfleet's about. Well, you know? yeah. I mean, if you, what are you going to go down there and kill people to save the one kid? Yeah. And that oh, they this, stay if this, I disconnect him, he's going to die anyway, right? Yeah, so. this one kid's life is so important. I will kill a thousand. I will kill a hundred thousand for this right. one because this one kid. You know, I mean, so it 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 um, you know it doesn't make sense there. It so. doesn't give you an easy, satisfying. They solved everything. End. This is yeah. this is showing this, that this sometimes was, there is no good solution. Yeah, and, sometimes yeah. there's not a solution, and and it and it sounds like uh, if I understood it right. That the whole that where he was put, that's what controls and keeps their cities floating and stuff. Yes. So yeah. okay, so now we're gonna rip this kid out. Everything in their society is 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 essentially dependent on this kid, right? Yeah, so they're gonna pull him out, all the cities are gonna collapse and fall to the into the lava and kill everybody, but like we saved the kid, you know. Right, right. You know, and, and so well, it goes back to some people are online are relating it to Spock's quote. What is that? The needs of the 
many out outweigh the needs of the one. Right. So, I mean, and, and I get that this is taken to an extreme for sure. And then the fact that, I mean, if it was a grown up doing this, we'd have a lot less issues with it. Right. But because it's a kid, it makes you go, Oh my God. And because we got to know the kid and the kid was kind of a cool kid, it makes it difficult too. Of course, Bob, what are your thoughts on what we are talking about in the whole episode in general? Yeah, Jim, it's the principal. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, I don't, I didn't feel like it was wrapped up quick. I, I kind of like that they actually drug, they actually did a little investigation. They didn't just like come to a conclusion in five minutes like they normally do. Uh-huh. Um, the thing that I kind of bugged me a little was this Pike is a little preachy. Which, which she kind of pointed out, right? He's like, you know, you do stuff. It's like all countries do stuff that's bad, right? Right. And every country thinks so like that are the good guys, even though all countries do sort of bad shit. So I kind of thought he was a little preachy at the end. Uh-huh. I guess that's one of the fans probably. And want. Kirk never got that way. Kirk was never. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'll forgive it. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I. It's a frustrating one to me because something didn't sit right with me with it. Made me not enjoy it as much as the other episodes. And I cannot put my finger on it. It's like every time I do sort of think, oh, and now I've got it. Now I've got why it didn't work for me. People point out like you guys are that, no, it really wasn't like next gen. That wasn't the problem with it. It wasn't that it was slow and plotting. And then all of a sudden they came up with a solution at the end. Maybe it's just, I can't handle having an ending that I don't, I want, I want Pike to be able to save the day. And maybe that's just, I, I think where, that's, I think that's where my brain goes. And it's like, he didn't save the day. And I'm like, that's not my Pike. My Pike would figure out a solution. He would solve this. And, and that could be me. So yeah, I mean, why don't they just put a TARDIS in the kid's place? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, Discovery. that's the only other thing I could think of that they would, a Star Trek thing to do would be, oh, let's science the heck out of this thing and figure out a way to keep their stuff floating and keep it all happening by having a substitute for the kid that's not the kid and and get the kid out of there and we saved his life and we solved the problem and they, their society is not going to be dependent on a child anymore. But that's, at some point, you got to go, well, that's kind of a cop-out and it's kind of like, no. It, and what it was, what it's trying to do, of course, is to shine a light on us as a society, on our and the way we sometimes, uh, it could be the way we treat children. It could be the the fact that we're willing to write off some children. Well, the whole gun thing that's going on right now. Are guns more important than kids? Are kids more important than guns? I, you know, I mean, there's there's that piece. Whether they meant to for you to think that or not, it certainly can come up and, and, and at least give you some thought uh, on that the whole thing. But anyway, um Jim, anything else about this episode that, that kind of struck you or anything? I, I like that. Let, let, let's change gears. Let's go to, just because I'm overwhelmed that you guys can stick with whatever you want, but I'm thinking the Mbanga part, I enjoyed. I enjoyed his character. It, it gave us a little more depth into his character, a little more into what he and his and his daughter were dealing with. And um, I thought it was interesting, the part where he's reading the story to her and she's like, 
I can't remember what she said. I think she said you already read that part or something. And he couldn't remember that he'd read that part because he keeps bringing her back. And I think I thought, and I was thinking to myself, my goodness, uh, a bookmark would have helped tremendously. But would you agree, Bob, that the Mbanga part was better or I don't know, gave us more depth into him or anything? Yeah, I mean, it was nice to see some other characters. I think in the last two episodes, the other characters were getting more spotlight. Yeah. So that was kind of nice to see a little bit more about him. Yeah. Well, and to me, to me, it almost seemed like the the Magellans, the yeah, whatever they were called. They uh, they almost seem more advanced, or at least more advanced in their medical technology. Yes. You know, so and it, and it seemed like the ship that was attacking them, their weapons were not good. Yeah, but, and and it got blown up really easy, and and it, it didn't seem like that was a very advanced ship. Um, right. And the other thing, it's not so. I mean, if they're so, they can't fix the problem with the kid, right? Right. Yeah. And it's well, it's, it's, so if, if they if they can't fix the problem, if they're supposed to be more advanced and they can't fix the problem, then you know how is Starfleet going to fix that problem? True. You know, and and um, the uh, and maybe know, that's what that's written better than I gave it credit for because maybe that's why they wrote it the way they wrote it. It made it the society seem like. You know, like you'd want a society to be in certain ways because it's like they they are more focused apparently on medical and on scientific things than they are on weaponry and things. And you kind of say, oh, that's kind of what we want in an ideal world. They wouldn't have the most advanced weapons, but they have great uh, healthcare and great that sort of thing. So, so then having it where they couldn't solve this problem with this kid, it made it that much more poignant or that much more interesting. And it. And they also laid the groundwork, it felt like, for Mbanga's kid to maybe get a solution where he won't have to keep her in that there anymore and, and she'll be out. Like then it made me think, well, if she gets out, then what happens? I mean, we don't on, on this point in time on Star Trek, I guess if you have kids, you send them off to boarding school or whatever, because you're away for five years at a time or something. And uh or you just don't have kids or something, but I'm like, okay, is this going to be their way of kind of bridging, which would be too soon to bridge and say, oh, this is why we should have kids on the ship and let Mbanga be, have his kid on the ship with him. Well, no, she's, she's going to become the next Wesley Crusher. Yeah. Right. Bridge crew. <laughs> but also on this one, you know, it, it almost seemed too like when they were talking about the machine that they put the kid into and stuff that, it was almost like they didn't know how it worked. Yeah, they did. It, it was like, you know, the, 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 the people a long time ago built this machine yes. and it needs to take a kid and we don't know why and all this other kind of stuff. So it's almost like maybe they lost some of their technological abilities as, as well. So it's That's true. You know, and the question is, why didn't Pike bamboozle the computer like Kirk would have? <laughs> <laughs> this is directive. <laughs> What is the prime directive? Protect the people. <laughs> We're destroying the people. Carry out the prime directive. <laughs> I would I would be entertained if sometime not this season, but hopefully, you know, second, third season, if if they ran into a supercomputer and Pike had to talk it into <laughs> destroying itself, that would be kind of fun. 
<laughs> or or if he tried to talk it into destroying himself and couldn't do it because <laughs> he, he doesn't have the, the Kirk like uh, savant skills of of talking computers into destroying themselves. That's right. So, uh, Bob's, Bob's points aren't very technical today. Either. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean uh, uh, the other the other elephant in the room that I need we I don't think we pointed out before but I think we at this point need to because this episode was insane and it pulled me out of the episode sometimes was Pike's hair is just <laughs> that's that's kind of ludicrous it's getting so high I mean and certainly we're not the all everybody's talking about it I mean the the Johnny Bravo meme is of course him and, and who's the character that everybody's showing with Johnny uh, Bravo yeah, Johnny Bravo. That he's got this Johnny Bravo hair going on, and you know, I get it. In the future, there will be different hairstyles, or there would be, and so forth. But I mean, it just seems like, what is going on? How would you, as a director or anybody else, go? Yeah, I'm okay with this. I'd be like, dude, let's pat that down just a little bit or something. I mean, as soon as I as soon as I saw it, it was like, it, it looks like Johnny Bravo. It's like it's just sticking like, yeah. well, like, they have then, a hat in the previous episodes, it was to the point of being a little bit you're like what's going on with his hair but you just kind of let it go but this episode seemed like it was yeah far more than it, than it was before and it I seemed wanted, like ridiculously high i wanted to go back to the older episodes because i'm because i don't know if it was because jim pointed out because every time he was freaking on the screen after jim mentioned he's like damn it it's jockey bravo that's what i saw immediately it was like it's like well, it, his hair looks like Johnny Bravo. Well, and I mentioned it. I I, I post to to various uh, Strange New Worlds Facebook group things and stuff. And I'm in talking about the episode. I like mentioned it as a joke at the beginning, but then I talked about the episode. But everybody simply was talking about the hair and and how how I shouldn't be talking. About every why is everybody talking about the hair? Can you talk about something? You know, whatever. So I just said. Uh, which I thought was kind of cute. I said in the comment, okay, I removed the hair piece. So I did remove the <laughs> part of the hair. And, and I just kind of liked my re reference to the hair piece. But anyway, yeah. so, so once I stopped talking, once I eliminated that from my original piece, because you could edit it, then everybody started talking about the episode like I wanted them to anyway. So, so I just eliminated that. And just now I have weird comments that are saying, so I'm talking about the hair when, of course, it doesn't look like I was talking about the hair. But uh, but it, it it's coming up across everywhere. I mean, everyone notices it. Um, there's nothing they can do about it now. I mean, it's you've got the rest of this season. I would hope that they go, you know, next season, maybe doing the hairs a different way is, is probably a good idea. On the other hand, I think they're halfway through filming next season's episodes, too. So who knows? But I wonder, I mean, because I think and it's a director anything that knocks people out of the episode needs to be fixed. What was that? I mean, it, I think if you're a director, anything that knocks somebody out of the yeah. you know, reality you're trying to create should be fixed. Yeah. So if people are having trouble with it, he should. The director should probably. Well, try. I can't imagine people on cast or crew or something not going. Okay, this is starting to seem weird as to how high his hair is getting, and. But there's also like me and my wife have been noticed, like especially like Channel Five, the news. Yeah. All these guys have like, I don't know what they're freaking doing, hairspray or something. It's like all their hair is big. And there's this one guy who just looks crazy nuts. He's a field reporter. Chris is like, what the hell's with this hair? And then there's like guys on in the studio that it's like it's 
combed up like this. So it's like the new thing, I guess. It might be a new thing. Maybe we're just so old and out of it that we just don't know the modern trend. Yeah, I think we don't have enough hair to do it anyway. It's it's uh, the equivalent <laughs> of the the big hair for women in the eighties kind of thing. I yeah. will say I do like one of the memes that's out there with it is he and uh, uh, he's. It, it looks like a Zoom thing, sort of, and so he's on one side of it, and there's. Uh, the actress that was in something about Mary that had the her hair all stuck up. If you remember why she had her hair stuck up and things, she uh, she's asking to be has more hair gel, and <laughs> he says, "Oh, I got an infinite supply of that hair gel for you," or something like that. He's like, "Okay, that, that's kind of maybe it's just a new new trend." You know, before everybody that was trying to be trendy would would grow a beard. Uh-huh. Yeah. And and so now it's like it's the hair thing instead of the the trendy beard, beard thing. Yeah, that's why I'm behind. Next season, I'll be, I'll be shaved clean and I'll have my hair going way up in the air. Yeah, that's that's the thing. Yeah. You know, maybe I could do it now. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> and, and, and he looks he looks grayer too. Well, I can get the I can get the something about Mary look kind of going, and that's about it. But that's uh, anyway. <laughs> but uh, yeah, anyway, that's that's. Uh, here nor there. Hopefully, that's not taking people out of the episode. Because I mean, that's a thing. I mean, it's a here nor there. It's a fun show, here and you don't want that to be what what you notice about the show. I mean, that just at that yeah. point, it's becoming a distraction, and it shouldn't be. So, anyway, what what else we got going on with this episode? That's, like, the, that's uh, the point. Any, like I said, anything like if they were to like have some guy in the background walk through a, a guy from the set or something, you'd go, right. that's a gaff throws you out of the alternate reality. Yes. Well, okay. Here's a good example. In the original cage pilot, and I, and I think they did this, I think they did it again in the second pilot of the series. I'm not sure. But they had people walk out of a, a room and as they walk into the, as they walk into the hallway, they're dressed in beach attire. One of the they have shorts on. They they totally look like they're ready for a day on the beach, and they just walk through the set as everybody else is in uniform and walking around. And you're like, "What was that?" And it was never explained. <laughs> Only thing I could think of it was it was like they were on sort of a hollow deck, and that they never eventually showed us because because uh, Roddenberry was saying he was thinking from the very beginning of having some sort of hollow deck sort of thing. And, and that's all I could, I don't know. I mean, go back, go back and, I mean, the, the, there's definitely a scene. Well, it's on YouTube right now. If you go, if you go look up the scene with, it's one of my favorite scenes of all Star Trek is the scene with Dr. Boyce coming into uh, Pike's room. So if you type in Pike Boyce discussion or Pike and his doctor or whatever, they talk about how he's been in recent, battles and things and he feels like maybe he doesn't want to be a captain anymore he's it's a very reminiscent of the first episode of this season where pike's kind of wondering what he should do with his life and things so it's a great scene but anyway in that scene they 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 cut so it's like a two-minute scene but they have like two minutes and 10 seconds or 15 so you follow pike walking down the hallway and going into his room when he does that that's when the people come out that are in their beach attire and so 
you get that piece. And so it reminded me of when I saw that, I was like, oh yeah, I've always wondered what the heck was that with those people walking out in their, in their shorts and their, and the short shirt and I don't know, whatever. But I mean, it's not like, it's not like she's in a bikini or something, but it, but it's still, it's a guy and a girl that look like they just came from a picnic or something. Um, which is do they start going on about we got short shorts? shorts yeah of course <laughs> uh, and uh and then and then it struck me too with that episode because they're the only people on the whole episode where you see their legs or anything because the women don't have the the um mini skirts at that point everybody uh, the the males and females were essentially similar uniforms um with pants and the whole thing so uh, anyway so back to this episode um yeah you don't want anything that pulls you out of the episode i was going to mention something else about happening oh i know something that i liked in this episode that was just a stupid throwaway thing but i really liked it was pike was telling uh ortega to do something he was giving her command or something and he said erica do this and he called her by her first name and it, to me, it was kind of a callback to his first scene when he when he appears on the Discovery Bridge for the first time. And as everybody introduced themselves and say, don't give me a rank, just just tell me what your name is and what you do or whatever. And and then he starts calling them all by their uh, first names and things. And, and I thought that was kind of cool to see him do that. And it, and it wasn't. Somehow he pulls it off in a way that doesn't seem like, oh, this is so in such an informal bridge, it's a bad thing. It's like, I care about you as a person and I want you to do this maneuver or want you to do this thing. It's it's a way of, I don't know, making his crew feel like they're cared about and it carries over really well. I, I, I think I think it was a it was a kind of a hidden thing there to to show you that that actually him and Erica are much closer than you think. If you, I had if a you, feeling you were going to go there. Yes. If, 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 <laughs> if, if you look at their hairstyles, yes, <laughs> they're, they're they're pretty similar. They are pretty similar. They, they, walk, they go to the same barber, and they're actually having a contest to see Well, Pike's Pike's winning that contest so far. <laughs> She's got some catching up to do. I think uh, Bob, go ahead. Oh, I, that's going to have another aside. So. Yeah. In Twin Peaks, there's a character that ends up being Killer Bob. Killer Bob. Yep. Yeah. Um, and he was a stage guy who was hiding behind the bed while they were filming. And he looked up and he shows up in this mirror. And then David Lynch saw him. Uh-huh. And then he became like the, actually became the killer in the episode. Okay. So that was, a, that was a gaffe that got, that he wrote back into the script. And they wrote it into the script. That's kind of cool. Yeah. So if you look up Killer Bob, he's a pretty weird looking dude. He's kind of uh-huh. scary. But it was because he was on the set and he had to get out of the way because he was he's a crew. Up. So he was like a crew member that they turned into oh. an actor? I guess he did act, but he didn't really get many jobs. So he was doing like stage hand work, oh, like okay. camera setup and stuff. And so they were like, they're ready to film and they're like, roll. And he's like still on the scene. So he hides behind the bed, I guess. But he looks up between the slats, and then he—he—you see him in the mirror behind the main character. Oh wow! And Lynch saw that and went, hmm, and just like used it. Huh? Smart guy. That's that's pretty cool. Um, gosh, I was going to mention something else related to that, but I don't know. Anyway, uh, anything else from the episode that like stood out for anybody or anything? Uh, of the 
oh did they uh, did they work on any other characters um I, I what i pointed out to people i was i was listed i was talking about the different characters and Mbanga and uh chapel came up and as we were talking we were talking about how Mbanga. Uh, it seems like there's been trouble establishing his character and things. And what we kind of came up with is it's difficult to establish your character when the other person that's in most of your scenes, because Chapel's in more scenes with him than anybody else, is kind of steals almost every scene she's in, right? So so I'm like, okay, she her part's not really supposed to necessarily be as much as she does it, but so many of us really like her character and like who she is as a person that whenever she has dialogue, you're always waiting for her dialogue and, and, and want that more than Mbanga. So it, it undercuts Mbanga pro- constantly, the actor and the the part he's in. Um, I, I'm one, I wonder if he's frustrated at all with how she's written or how she's portrayed or anything, that it he does have this person that's, that's stealing the, his thunder like all the time. Um, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I don't know that you know, just like anybody that's on the bridge could be saying the same thing, you know, it's like, it's like, oh, when I'm on the bridge, you know, and I, I get my line or two, and these other actors get more work, oh, they're stealing my thunder, right, or work, you know, so I mean, it's, it's could probably be anything, it's almost like they've reversed, <clears throat> they reversed McCoy and, and Nurse Chapel in that now the, the main one is Nurse Chapel, and the, and the one that kind of fills in is, is uh Mbanga. Mbanga. Yeah. You know, so it's kind of reversed it. Yeah, because I think Jim's right, because he's kind of she's kind of out there. Like she's kind of one of those people that speaks her mind and he's kind of sedate and logical and yes analytical. So he comes off as kind of not as exciting to watch. Yes. Cause her she's one whenever she's in the scene, I'm always going, what's she gonna do? What's she gonna say? I mean, because she's always in your face in a different angle. I mean, the, her her slapping of Spock in 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 the episode the episode previous to this, um, which we'll talk about next time. So we'll talk about her a lot actually in 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 last week's episode. So I won't I don't want to spend too much time on her, but I just think she's an interesting character that's kind of having a semi explosion at least in the fan base where oh. people often list her as one of their favorites or. Some people list her as, as not liking her at all because they don't like, I mean, both her and um, Erica Ortega are probably listed as the two that you either love their characters or you hate their characters because you feel like they're not, a lot of people that are into the military rankings and the way things are supposed to go, they're like, no, they should be in the brig for some of the stuff they say. They're always questioning orders. They're always saying uh, throwing out things that they don't need you, you certainly on a ship wouldn't get that but in a real ship i've been on real ships when you're on a real ship and people are everybody just sort of shuts up and doesn't say anything and, until they're supposed to right i mean for so often it, it's a very professional sort of thing but it would be really boring to film that group of people in in what really happens on, on a ship when they're on the bridge of the ship or whatever it, it would, it's essentially the captain and the, the top people talking a little bit and everybody else is just sitting there and doing their job. 
And only when they something comes across the radar screen do they say, I've got a blip on my radar. Otherwise, they don't say anything. They just sit there. So yeah. I think she also doesn't really match the original character of Nurse Chapel. No, that's what a lot of people are saying. Well, she, you know, calling her Chapel is kind of a joke. It's it's she's you can say she's an interesting new character, but she's certainly not Chapel's character. No. Now, my argument with that is just. Well, Chapel essentially didn't have a character. I mean, Chapel sort of all her character was was pining over Spock is is what her main function was. And you know, well, she wasn't that and I and I say it's great that they want to honor Major Barrett, who was the original actress for both her character and number one. And I think that's the reason that they sort of brought both of those characters back, I think is a piece of it anyway, to kind of honor her, because of course she's huge in star trek lore and everything but in bringing chapel they go well we're gonna have to change this character this is not gonna work yeah even like in little what was it what little girls are made of right yeah, that's, that true. One, that's yeah, the main yeah. episode where you get most of her acting yeah yeah she's still not like this chapel no, no she's a little she's a little more i mean you see her a lot more but she's not kind of i don't know super confident and flimmed like this right. character. well and what people are you know the fan base is speculating on which i don't think is true and i don't think they're going to do but they were saying that that certainly they've been talking about how dr corby isn't it that's her love interest or whatever later on so that they're going to have him come in and they're going to have some setup with him and of course he leaves her and doesn't in the whole subject to that other uh that episode is that Corby broke her heart sort of thing. And the same when she gets her heart broken, she's going to revert to the personality traits of the original character. I don't see that. I think I, there's no way they would abandon what they've created with her. It's too much fun to play with her and have her be this, have this attitude and that comes through on her. Your, your problem is, they almost would have been better off if she wasn't Chapel, because then they could have had, if they decided, okay, her character is becoming almost like Worf, where it becomes so big, you're like, okay, let's just move Tasha Yar out of the way and let him become security, main security chief and the whole thing, right? In this case, you go, okay, let's get Mbanga onto another ship, have her become a doctor, and she'll be the doctor on the ship, which would be great. But you can't do that because she's chapel. And how are you going to pull that off? Have nurse, uh, does she all of a sudden then lose her daughter and become a nurse again? Or what? You know, you, or do they give her a field promotion and she's the acting head of medical or something? But it seems like you'd go to the next star base and get another head medical officer. So that wouldn't work. So who knows? I, I guess if I was the writers, I'd work on beefing up Mbanga so that they could have more banter back and forth and it would be kind of fun to do that I guess is the way I think I'd go but Jim you have any thoughts on Mbanga Chapel stuff? No I think they'll they'll just keep going the way it is uh, you know I think Mbanga is there just to have a medical person I think Nurse Chapel and that relationship is always going to be the, the one that's going to be more focused on I think. Right well and it kind of makes sense in a way if you're thinking about away teams and all that kind of stuff that if you're sending a medical officer down 
you probably wouldn't do what they did on Star Trek is always send their head of medical down. You would think you'd be more likely to send someone of Chapel's background down on the away teams and things because she would be slightly more expendable than your head medical guy. I mean, I always wondered because when you beam down Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and Scotty in a situation and they all get wiped out, all yeah. of a sudden you're ships in a whole lot of trouble it's got it's got none of their head people are are around so and that wasn't often they'd also send scotty down but they did sometimes um and and i think next gen tried to address some of that um i don't, I don't know how they're going to do with this one but anyway um there, there are a couple of things that kind of i didn't understand in this episode where one they're they're transporting people that they have no idea who they are or if they can even breathe oxygen <laughs> and they're transporting them in. It's like they got lucky they could breathe oxygen. Well, you assume they're Star Trek people. So on our show, pretty much everybody breathes oxygen because we don't want to have everybody with oxygen tanks and things. So, yeah. yeah. And, and then the second thing was <clears throat> before it used to, whenever they were in the turbo lift, they had to grab the handles. Yes like control to go up to different floors and everything else yes but now it appears to be voice controlled mm -hmm. but they have the handles well wasn't yeah. it on the original ship though that it was they also i mean of course they had the handles we remember the handles from no it's a bridge say bridge and 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 do voice commands to the elevator even in the original star trek i don't remember yeah i think they it seems like they always got in and grabbed it and said bridge yeah well why, they, why would they turn they... it and they, like like but then why now I guess what I would think about it is it's like pressing the button to turn on Siri or whatever. They they turn the handle and say bridge, you know, and so they're well, like they, turn the handle always, somehow turns on the, the voice recognition thing or something. You can also say Alexa or whatever. Yeah, and right, right. You don't need the handle to activate it. You see the keyword. Exactly, right? And and so now we realize okay, that the handle seems kind of but they're trying to honor this this so it's tough. It's tough between trying to stick with canon and yet you realize okay that's not even necessary now and it wouldn't be necessary then so and certainly maybe it's it can't be that they're controlling it with the thing because obviously the thing just twists back and forth it's like you're not gonna be able to pick a deck by, by twisting this little handle you're gonna maybe, maybe, something. maybe it's something to grab onto so you don't fall over while it's going yeah. or something yeah, but they've only got like two handles and there's so only two people. <laughs> Everybody else. It's whoever's highest in command gets a handle. So it's, you know. uh, anyway, but uh, yeah, it, I'm trying to think of what other characters did they do work on in this episode. Um, I still think it's interesting that Erica still hasn't had a real episode on her. Like everybody else... Even Chapel, you can say sort of that last episode, I'd say was more of a Chapel featured episode. So, because originally Chapel was the other one. But now I think it's just her that hasn't had a main storyline on, on any episode yet. But it looks like, did you guys see the previews for next week? No. So, uh, I'm not going to spoil it. I'm just going to give what's in the preview because a lot of people have seen the preview. Uh it shows them she's piloting the ship in an asteroid field and 
they get too close to one of the asteroids or something, and all of a sudden these beams go out from the asteroids to the other asteroids, and it becomes essentially a web around the ship. And uh, and so everybody online is speculating. I mean, that's what it kind of looks like. And so one, it'd be cool to experience the Tholians again. I don't know if it is. And then two, it looks like an episode because there was definitely dialogue in that clip of, of course, because she's piloting the ship of, of Pike to Erica. And so I'm going, maybe that will be more of an Erica-centered episode. So we'll see. Um, but it looks, it, it looks, it reminded me just seeing the scenes and the way it was filmed and the way it was done reminded me of episode four, which of course was my favorite episode of the season so far. So I totally invite going back to one of those kind of episodes where they're trying to solve a problem and they've got somebody attacking the ship or whatever it is. And so that'll be kind of fun. So my, my, my favorite part of this entire uh, episode though, was when they brought uh, George Kirk back. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I, I believe it's Sam Kirk, isn't it? Oh, it's Sam. It's Sam. It's yeah. Sam. It's Sam. Well, is, it, is, it, is it Georgia? George is his dad, right? George is the, is uh, wasn't that the the character from the uh, it's, first first movie with the new cast or whatever? There was George. Yeah, Kirk, the, yeah, his dad. Are, are you Sam sure Kirk you, is his brother. Say it, Sam. Yeah. No, no. According to IMDb, his name is George Samuel Kirk. Samuel. But he calls him Sam. They call him Sam. Call him Sam, but his name is George Samuel Kirk. Okay. Probably named after his dad, George Kirk. So I think it was George Kirk. I could be all wet. I mean, I'm sure our listeners will complain. Yeah. The one listener. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But no, yeah, they bring him back for just this little scene. It's it's so interesting they've decided on the sam kirk being kind of this weird annoying character that sort of shows up from time to time and uh, i think it's kind of funny myself that they're doing this but i wonder who came up with the idea and then the fact that he's just this background character that i mean he's been on three different episodes now right i think yeah yeah sections of three but they've all been small parts or whatever but anyway but he is. Would you agree that his his character is written to be kind of annoying? He he is annoying, and he all he does this episode is diss on on Noonien Singh, right? Or Lawn or Raymond. Yeah. yeah. So there's a little more work on the Lawn character and things. So, I mean, I I would say it seems like this season so far, of the new characters, they're spending probably the most time with Lawn, where she's getting the most work on her character. Would you agree with that so far? Yeah, even more than number one, which I find odd. <laughs> yeah, it, well, it's it, they're treating number one, which I think is interesting. They're treating number one, Spock. Uh, all the characters we know the, by, by previously the, the being on Star Trek before, they're sort of uh, giving taking the back seat to introduce us to all these new characters. But the thing is, like, number one is essentially a new character. I mean, we saw her on one episode of the original Star Trek, so you can't really say, oh, we don't need to develop her, do much with her, because, because she's, she's existed before. It's different. And um, and and I guess, because they really haven't spent all that much time, more time with her than they have with Mr. Kyle, who's the uh, transporter chief. <laughs> he hasn't been featured much. 
I, I yeah, I assume we're going to have hopefully by the end of the season a number one. I think that episode. I mean, I like what she's doing. I like her character. It just is funny how many times she's getting like sort of injured and written out of the episode, or she was captured and not in the first episode. It's it seems like they take her out of play a lot of the time. And I think I, that points out. If the I problem. was the actress, I'd be going, guys, this is happening a bit. You probably need to do something else here. So it kind of points out the problem we were talking about maybe last week or the week before that you have two characters that are kind of similar. Yeah. They're both like on between Laon and her. And especially since they have whenever she's eliminated, Laon takes over her job. So so it, it makes well, it even more where you compare the two characters to each other. Yeah. Yeah. And and Luan even seems more aggressive and more, you know, in your face and and that type of thing. So I wonder if that's why she's, you know, she stands out more because you know the other ones aren't as aggressive and aren't so forward in in what you're you're watching with them so even though maybe she might not have more scenes it seems like it just because you know she's more aggressive yeah, yeah she's just i don't know they need i don't know that's another that's another uh troy <clears throat> uh wharf like scenario with that security chief you almost need one or the other but you've kind of established the two characters now. So you're kind of, I don't know, they're kind of in a bind. Yeah. Well, especially because it'd be a little, yeah, I don't know. It's it's like, and they both need to be the same place together a lot, right? I mean, if you're on the away team, who are you going to probably send an away team? Theoretically, shouldn't really send the captain. If you're really going to do it right, you'd send number one on your away teams mostly and your head of security, which would be lawn. And I'd send chapel, but then you end up with all these kind of women with attitude going together, which could be fun, but I suppose it's just the way they write it. They're definitely trying to write some of the scenes with number one and lawn. They're giving them a relationship, which I think is good because the only way they're going to make it through this, you can't, if they're always butting against each other, and it just seems like number one's in the way, then essentially you've got to either kill off number one or something to get on the space she needs. But if you make them kind of work together as a team and make that interesting, then that's okay too. Um, I guess I don't want number one going away. One of the main reasons I was into this series was I wanted, I always liked that number one character from the original cage pilot and wanted to see more of her. So I don't want her going. I'm, that's probably my frustration with this season more than anything else is the character. I, one of the characters I want to most see has been played down and that's number one. And I wonder if they're going, you know, at some point Rekabot Ramajan's going to say, screw it. And not want to come back or something. I don't know. So far, I mean, when they talk to the actress, boy, she seems really excited about doing this and the part. Well, maybe, maybe she's smart. Like, you know, Jim says a lot of these actors and actresses go off and, I'm going to do great things in the in a hit series, and then you never hear from them again. So maybe she's just smarter than that. She's got good paying work. I'm just going to hang out. Yeah, because I mean, you look. You know, she did some stuff years ago. We right. haven't really seen her in anything since then, right. and and so it's like you know, for her to just bail on this, it's like, oh well, this is not exactly what I want. It's like. <laughs> what were you doing before then? What are you going to do after? Well, and you can't, I mean, if you look at it objectively, she did have an episode that was 
featured her quite a bit where we found out that she was this really strong alien that had a lot of people prejudiced against her and so forth. I mean, they have given her character a little more meat. It's just they haven't played with it since then much. And they and and as her, I'd be wanting them to play with that more. Um, but they, they, you know, they're kind of bouncing it all around. They're kind of giving them all things to do, which is charming as long as all the cast is good with that. And like, hey, I'll get my turn at some point. They're yeah, just passing the ball around. As it's just, I think they're passing the ball to Laon a little more than they maybe should, and and be trying to develop some of the other characters because that's when you get people mad. Is when you keep going to somebody over and over again and aren't going to the rest of them. Um, <laughs> as long as as long as they're all kind of featured evenly in some weeks, this person gets featured more and other weeks a different person, then it's all okay. Um, and I, I, don't know, I didn't really like the backstory they wrote for her myself, but for for for, for number one, yeah. Well, I thought, you know, if let's talk about that for a minute. So her backstory, I mean, the actress, the 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 part originally was written really dry, written essentially like a a Vulcan before they decided what Vulcans were going to be. Then they write her out because the, the network says, we don't want her. So they take her character and they give it to Spock. So Spock then becomes this, what we know now as Vulcans, as a, as a stoic sort of character and so forth. So they stole her personality from her. So the, this actress taking over for her and the writers couldn't put her back in that box because that's Spock's box. And so you have to stay away from that. So they're trying to figure out a personality for her, which could have been a Laon type personality, but then they give that to Laon. Almost it would have been better if they didn't have a Laon character mm -hmm. and they just gave everything that was Laon to number one and have had number one had that all those experience Laon had about the Gorn attacking her family and all of that. That could have worked. But the fact that they gave that to Laon and then they give her kind of super strength sort of stuff that makes her even seem closer to Spock because Spock has always been really strong in the whole thing that now she's, I don't know, they're going a strange way with her. And I don't think it, it's, it's going to, it's working the best. Not saying they can't, I'm just saying it's. Well, we'll have to see, you know, it's a strange, strange writing world. on that part. <laughs> We'll have to see. We'll have to see because it's a strange new world out there. It is a strange new world. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but I give him a huge break because, man, this is still the the first five episodes were the best first five episodes I've ever seen of any Star Trek series, even the original. I mean, uh, they didn't have a, a Charlie X mixed in the middle of the first five that made me go, oh, this is bad. <laughs> Charlie X has never worked for me. So, <laughs> you know. And and the and the salt creature was never the best episode either. So the some of the first five weren't the absolute best of the original series. And of course, Star Trek, I mean the, the next gen, the first five, I don't even know if there's a good episode mixed in there. There might be. I think there's there's one with the I think the Traveler episode might be in the first five, might be number four or something like that. But anyway. So um where are we at now with this? I don't know where we're going, but we can I guess we can stop there. Uh, or do you, anybody got anything else they want to say about this episode? No. Uh, oh, let's do a rating thing where we rate the episode. So I'm going to give it, I, I think the lowest I've given any episode is like a seven or something, a seven and a half. 
I'll give this one just to show folks that it's, you know, I've, I've, I've said I had problems with it, but I've said I'd like it. I didn't love it. It was it was okay episode. So I'm going to give it a six and a half. My lowest rating, but not by much. Jim? Uh, I would give it a, a seven and a half. Um, eight and a half for the for the sex scenes. Okay. <laughs> Oh, and that was, was mentioned. Like, I got to mention that. That will take us to another spot. Well, yeah, there was, I guess. There was, there was. Uh, you know, everybody talks about how much Kirk was a ladies' man or whatever. In the original series, supposedly he didn't even kiss a woman uh, until the seventh episode. Uh, the the way it was aired or something, but the way it was actually filmed or whatever, it was until the tenth episode that they actually filmed where he kissed somebody, and they were saying, well, so far, uh, Pike's been to bed with two different women in the first six to seven six episodes or whatever it is. So they're they're going, well, he he seems to be more of a ladies' man than Kirk was. So I, I don't know, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it, Another issue I have with this episode, just in general, is the old flame where the captain runs into an old flame of his sort of episode on any of the series have never worked well for me. It's like, do I really need that? Do I really care about that? I really don't. And so it it, it was starting from a point, even from the preview, where <laughs> I mentioned in the preview, I said, this is not, no, does not bode well for the episode. So I was already kind of, against the episode just from the preview where we knew he was going to meet his old flame so there you space go. hookups space hookups not not my thing but you know whatever uh bob yeah six and a half seven okay i think yeah so you so so essentially we're kind of in the same boat with this episode with me just being a little more extreme because you guys aren't saying if you look at the first episode first four episodes comparing this to them this is weaker than the first four episodes is kind of what you're saying. Yeah. Maybe just a little bit, but just a little bit close. It, it was, but it was close. Yeah. But you guys think five was a big step down is, is what it's sounding like. To me, five was, yeah, it was kind of a. Five I, 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 had, had a different feel. Yeah. <clears throat> Which I mean, I did, I, I liked. It's just. Well, and to, for our audience, we, we've we recorded six before five. So we're going to go record five right now. So, hey, uh, you're probably going to hear five before six, but whatever. So we're going to go back there. I want to talk about five for a while. I'm excited to talk about five. So we're out of here. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy uh, this episode. It's not it's certainly better than I paint it to be. Let me put it that way. And a lot of people love this episode. So it's it's just the ending is hard. It's about his old flame. There's there's a lot of things that for me just don't work, and that's or or don't work well, and that's me. That's not the episode. So, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe we need like an outtake for these always. You know, to end them, it's like just you know, you know, live long and prosper. prosper. Oh, that's good. Mine'll be two thumbs up. Paul McCartney says. <laughs> anyway, there we go. All right, bye now. 
This week, I've got the man behind the Star Trek curtain himself, Alex Kurtzman, here to talk about strange new worlds and the future of the Star Trek universe. We'll take a look at times Star Trek delivered some serious plot twists, and of course, I've got an exclusive sneak peek of next week's episode of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. The first servant is ascending. Get thee to the ready room. Hey nerds, I'm Will Wheaton, and this is The Ready Room, your official behind-the-scenes hub for all things Star Trek Universe. Episode 6 of Strange New Worlds not only gave us a look at Pike's early love life, but delivered an amazingly unexpected and very Trek-like ending, which leads me to Red Alert! This week's episode is called Lift Us Where Suffering Cannot Reach, and believe me when I say you will be suffering if you stick around for all the spoilers coming up. I did not see where this episode was headed, and that is the best way to watch. Go stream it, and then return here where we can properly geek out together. I last spoke to Alex Kurtzman, our Star Trek executive producer extraordinaire, on Star Trek Day 2021. Since then, we've finished Season 2 of Lower Decks, Star Trek Prodigy entered the universe, both Discovery and Picard gave us incredible new seasons, and now we're in a fresh Trek experience with strange new worlds. Can someone say Golden Age of Star Trek? There's so much to discuss, it may take a space-time anomaly to get to it all. It's cool, I know how to handle those. After I get a full rundown from Alex, like he's my own personal Elkars, we'll celebrate this week's unexpected resolution to episode six. In a universe filled with strange new worlds, there's bound to be plenty of shocking discoveries, but nothing beats a Star Trek twist ending. So later, we'll take a look at other episodes of Star Trek whose endings we did not see coming. But first, Strange New World's debut season has given us a plethora of freeze-frame-worthy Easter eggs. We're going to make it real easy for you to get an even closer look at the amazing props introduced in the series with this behind-the-scenes featurette, because it's all about the details, am I right? Control room, engage. It was a fine line to keep the tradition of what Discovery did and the tradition of TOS, but find our own path. We have this canon that's been set up and people love that. And there's this nostalgia that everybody has for those props. And I think if we were to drastically change them, that would be changing the whole canon. And I don't think that would have been right for the show. So we took the original designs, looked at those, and just tried to stay in that ballpark, but just make it a little bit more slick. Um, and I think we did that. I'm gonna start with the Deltas because they're a fan favorites. Basically, these were designed uh, from Discovery. Uh, Discovery did the first design of them, Mario did the first design, and we've picked up that design to stay within canon. We've modified it a bit by putting a little black detail along here, which doesn't seem like a big deal. You can see it a little bit, but it's just a subtlety that will just tip it to our show. They're magnetized in the back, so that's really how this works. Because we don't want to do any pins or holes in, in the costumes, because that would drive the costume department crazy. It's great. Uh, the one problem is when you get too many of these together, they all magnetize together. But um, yeah, it's a pretty simple fix to get the deltas on. It's not on stun. So this is our version of the TOS phaser. So there's stun, and then we go to kill. And then all the brains, so there's a brain that we built inside the, the unit that's down in here. Um, it's driven by this battery here. And again, magnets are our best friend, so everything's magnetized. 
And there's a really nice weight to these because they're made out of aluminum instead of 3D printing. So it, when the actors have them in their hands, they feel like a real weapon. It's pretty much baked into the aluminum, the colors. And we tried to stay as true to the original colors as possible. We have different versions of these. We have foam versions for stunts and rubber versions for just um, holster stuffers. But when you see anything that's live on camera that's close up, it would be the definite uh, the aluminum ones that we have. We built six of these in season one. Each uh, phaser costs about $8,000, top to bottom to build, Canadian, because it's almost like a, a little piece of art. And we only do short runs of stuff. So when you do short runs of stuff, they tend to cost more. So yeah, they're about $8,000 per phaser. The next thing I'd like to talk about is the uh, communicator. So this is like a toy version of the communicator that was used in TOS. So we wanted to stay as true to this shape as possible because it's what the fans know. So this is our version of that. It's a, a thinner profile and it's just a little bit more slick. It flips just like a regular one would. And inside, we've put an iPod Nano so that it's got animation driving it, so that VizFX doesn't have to go in and lay over anything. Um, and it's got a nice weight to it as well because it's aluminum. So it's got that feel that like a, a phone has um, and it flips nicely in your hands. So yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really beautiful piece. I think we built six of these for season one and we have rubber versions just for background performers and such. So my favorite prop for this season was in episode one. Tapring is proposing to Spock with a pendant and the script read that we had, we needed some kind of box. And everyone's like, it's just a box, it's just a box, but it couldn't just be a box. It had to be something slick and beautiful. So this was what we came up with when we designed this. So we built one of these, because this is probably about an $8,000 build. So the actor was to grab it here and just open it up and it would open like that. But we wanted to keep it elegant and simple and just in the Vulcan shape. So there's a lot of angles in, in the Vulcan um, architecture. So we stayed with that. So yeah, this was one of my favorite props of the season. So we built two of these um, and they're almost identical to the original design, but we just did our own spin on them a bit. And we just cleaned it up a bit and just added some textures here. Um, but this was direct from Canon, so this was a really fun episode to work on because we were rebuilding stuff that was from such an iconic episode. This was a fun prop to do. The next thing I'd like to talk about is the tricorder. We did a whole bunch of design passes, we talked about it, and we wanted the functionality that the original tricorder had. It was a simple piece, had a flip down, it had a screen on the inside, and it had a wand, little sensor that came out of it. So we basically designed it as such. It flips up and down. So when Spock uses it, for instance, he can flip it to reveal that screen. And then the screen's inside. None of the buttons move, unfortunately. It's almost like the original. It's, they're, they're decorative, but he can interact with the different screens. The strap for it is pretty much as per canon. Uh, we tried to design it and keep it as exactly the way it was. And the little scanning device that comes out is magnetized, so it pops in the bottom. And it's got a brain in it as well with different patterns that we can set for different scanning mechanisms. I just remember sitting back with the builders thinking, we're, we're redesigning these iconic props. Like, this is amazing. Like, that's the best. 
In countless ways, my guest for today is the all-knowing overseer of our Star Trek universe. Executive producer Alex Kurtzman is here with me today. Alex, thank you. Oh my I God, thank you. cannot believe you're actually here. I, I'm so excited to be here. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's a real, a real honor. Um, thank you. Let's start with the 55-year pickup. Yeah. Talk to me yeah. about bringing something that's been in development forever. 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 <laughs> um, uh, to where we are now, halfway through season one. Well, um, it was interesting because when we decided to bring Captain Pike into season two of Discovery, um, Akiva Goldsman, my, my partner, one of my partners on the show, said, oh, you know, we have to do a, a, a Captain Pike show. We have to do it. And I, I said, you know, it would be great is if we could actually cast a Captain Pike and, and we could successfully just get away with doing him for once on Discovery before we would start thinking about giving him his own show. Because, you know, the character of Captain Pike, even though we had done uh, a version of it with Bruce Greenwood in the films, yeah. um, w was just going to be very different. And, you know, it's a big deal to bring that character and yeah. the Enterprise onto, onto Discovery. And I just wanted to make sure we, we were going to do it right. Mm -hmm. And that we were going to honor both what you know Jeffrey Hunter had done, but also the the way that the character had lived on in people's memories about Trek. Mm -hmm. And you know, when I met Anson, well, first of all, when I saw Anson audition, it was very. It's it's always it takes a very long time to cast these parts. Yeah. Because people have such deep ingrained memories and associations with the characters that you really have to find somebody who is, you know, uh, who represents the spirit of the character and also some something uh, touches on something that the original actor had, mm -hmm. but also is doing their own thing, entirely their own thing. And the second I saw Anson's audition, I, I said, oh my God, he's, t they're like, we have to look no further. And the, d the first day of um, shooting season two of Disco and was uh, his Pike speech on the bridge where he says, I'm not Lorca. Mm -hmm. And he has to walk around and give this like incredibly commanding, really like endearing speech. And I was watching him do it, and I was like, that guy's going to get his own show. And he did, and he did. And he really, like, I think I I'm so grateful to the fans for being so vocal about how much they loved the character. Not just him, but Una and, you know, the world that we created in season two of Disco. The choice to, uh, to make Pike aware of his mm -hmm. future mm -hmm. is uh, risky. Yeah. Sure. Uh, and and really powerfully informs this mm -hmm. this character. Sure. I as I watch Anson's take on Pike, I see someone who's compassionate, mm -hmm. who's empathetic, who is inspiring. Mm -hmm. I see a guy like, tell me what to do, man. I will I'll serve yes. under you. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. It is all the it is all the qualities you just articulated. The you know the this sense of real connection, yeah. right? The sense that like, oh, I want to follow that guy anywhere. The sense that he was equitable and fair. You know, and firm, yeah. very clear. His boundaries were very clear, but he, the fact that he remembered everybody's name after hearing it one time and could immediately spit their names back. You know, he was, he was a captain focused on connection. As for the decision to um, give him, a, a, you know, knowledge, well, part of what I, I think is really fun for us in the world of Trek is that, especially when it comes to TOS, these really epic, beautiful stories we're told that have endured in so many people's minds. But yeah. if you go back and watch the details surrounding a lot of the stories, there's a tremendous amount of white space, right? Like there's a lot of gray area to details and to, and 
in looking back at the menagerie and looking back at the cage, we kind of asked this question, well, wouldn't it have been wildly heroic if he knew what his fate was going to be and chose to do it anyway to serve a greater good, which makes him kind of, you know, represent everything I think like that we love about The ultimate captains. values of Starfleet, right? right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So that's really where that came from. Star Trek for the last few years has really done serialized narrative in a really mm. beautiful way. When yeah. we were doing Next Generation, when we got to do a two-part episode, yeah. we just felt like it was Christmas. Totally. Like we just <laughs> loved it. It was yeah. just, oh man, we get yeah. to persist beyond a single episode. We've really gotten used to that. Um, I was very excited when I heard that Strange New Worlds was going to focus on more serialized, yeah. uh, uh, rather more self-contained yeah. episodes. Yeah kind of giving us those opportunities to really focus on a particular moral message, sure. a particular style sure. of episode sure. over and over. I, I thought that was very cool. Mm -hmm. I imagine that the transition from serialized storytelling to episodic storytelling presented some challenges, mm -hmm. and I would love to hear you talk sure. about that. Well, what was interesting was that when we started Discovery, part of the thinking was that we, we wanted to do something different. And Trek had, you know, typically, DS9 obviously began to really toe dip into more serialized storytelling, but um, we didn't want it to feel like a Star Trek procedural, mm -hmm. right? So we wanted to go serialized. And in some ways, so we, we, the pendulum went all the way over here. Mm -hmm. And then Picard really couldn't be a story, we couldn't tell that story without it being serialized. Right. And Patrick was incredibly clear about not wanting to repeat what you guys had done on Next Gen mm -hmm. for all the right reasons, yeah. right? And and then when Strange New Worlds came around, I think, and, and even our animated shows are serialized, so I think we felt like, in a way, going back to standalones felt fresh again mm -hmm. in a way that we That's how it felt, very much you know? felt, feels to me as an audience member. But I think the thing, and it's I would imagine it's part of why you know, two episode arcs on TNG was was so satisfying. Were so satisfying, is that there's emotional serialization, right? So, yes. so in TOS there really wasn't. The characters had their experiences. Mm -hmm. Edith Keeler could die, but he, Kirk wouldn't carry that into the next episode. Yeah. And in this story, we have standalone stories, but our characters are learning and growing and remembering and carrying those experiences into how they deal with the next story. So, it's kind of a hybrid. The uh, the the. The previously on Strange New Worlds segment mm -hmm. that gives us that continuity mm -hmm. that we would take for granted in sure. a serialized show yeah. is brilliantly handled. Oh, cool. It's very clever. It yeah. makes us feel like, right, oh, I remember. Right, right. And then, and now right. we're into the episode that can that, completely stand that can, on its own. Yes. On its own. Yeah. I, I think that's great. Um, in this week's episode, yeah. we meet a former flame of Captain Pike's, mm -hmm. Alora, mm -hmm. um, and Every time we get a little more background yeah. on one of these known TOS legacy characters, mm -hmm. I get really excited because thus far, whether it alters canon or it adds to canon, sure. it still respects yes, canon, always. which means it respects the audience. There's nothing worse than loving a show sure. and investing so much into it, and sure. then somebody does something that just is just like... It's so insulting to the audience. Sure. So that's like not happening here at all. And yeah. I, I, I love that and I'm grateful well, thank for you. it. Thank you. A lot of people work very, there's a lot of coordination to, you know, by many, done by many people to get to what you're talking about. So I'm super interested to know anything you would care to share with us about adding backstories to characters sure. we really know. Yeah. Spock, Uhura, sure. Pike. Sure. And characters we think we know yes. but don't, yes. like Nurse Chapel. Yes. yes. Um, tell me about 
the parameters you have. Is it bring me every idea and we'll see? Um, is it, you know, there are no bad ideas? Or is it like these things are definitely off limits? Like where do you, where well, does all that land? It's a little bit, it, it kind of starts a little bit with like the number one rule of improv, right? Which is don't negate. Yeah, <laughs> right? yes so, and. So yes and. <laughs> so you can't, you really can't um, say, oh, the thing that happened that was established in canon didn't happen. Yeah. You can say, oh, there are things you didn't know about how it happened, but you can't say it didn't happen. Yeah. And, you know, that really applies to every character. As I said, in, in TOS, you know really nothing about number one. Yeah. Nothing, including her name. Right. You know, and that that gives us a, tr a tremendous amount of freedom, right? But in some ways, that's easier because there's, it's a blank slate for all intents and purposes. Yeah. It's, it's characters like Uhura... You know, where, where you don't really know, it wasn't really established in TOS what her full backstory was. You get little pieces of it, but really tangential. Yeah. And there's so much room for interpretation. Um, so, I, you know, as is the case with, you know, with really all the characters who are now making a comeback, including Pike. Pike, you probably knew the most about. You know yeah. about his horses. <laughs> sure. You knew where he came well, from. Well, we also know Anson's Pike because of right. Discovery. Because of Discovery. But I'm saying even when we were thinking about what, how are we going to characterize him of on course. Discovery, okay. Got it. there was so much to interpret at that point. There yeah. was just so much that we didn't know. I have not had the opportunity to sit down with my fellow nerds and really you know, yeah. nerd out about yeah. Strange New World. So I don't know if I'm the only person who's feeling this. I feel like if the original series were made today, it would be this. Mm -hmm. It feels like mm. watching oh, the original awesome. Star Trek series to me um, in terms of the messages that I'm getting, the pacing of mm. it, the, um, the familiarity of the characters. And I am just so, I'm just like massively impressed <laughs> by this tapestry you all have woven together of things we know things we expect, yeah. and let's subvert the expectations. Did it really well in this week's episode. An absolute classic Star Trek episode where we're pretty sure we're on the right side right. all the way we'll through until we find not. out yeah. we're not. Yeah. Laura, you have to stop this. He chooses it freely. We honor his sacrifice. What? Long live the first servant. Laura. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, let's, let's just talk about that for about a minute, because I know sure. that we've, we've just watched sure. this episode. Sure. We're going to get into sure. the big Star Trek universe in a minute. But because we've all just watched this, I need to talk about sure, it. Sure, of course. I totally understand. I mean, I think one of the things that we all, certainly Henry and Akiva and I talked a lot about, um, just foundationally in what TOS did, and then certainly what you guys did in, in TNG. Every, every iteration of Trek has done this because it's part of what makes Trek. People come in to situations or they look at groups and they make assumptions about who they are. Mm -hmm. And one of the great lessons of Star Trek is that you must always look under the surface mm -hmm. because what you think is not always what it is. And the assumptions that you're bringing in about who somebody is or what they believe or why they believe it isn't necessarily accurate. And because it forces you to step into the shoes of the other person, you end up finding common ground and therefore resolve your differences. And to me, that is one of the most important lessons of Trek. Mm -hmm. It's one of the most, and I think it's a lesson that's so necessary now more than ever because we live in a world that's so divisive and so divided. And it is that, you know, it is that 
that truism that if we could really understand what caused our enemy pain, they wouldn't be our enemy anymore. Gene Roddenberry always, always told us there's no purely evil villains. Mm -hmm. There are misguided individuals. Sure. And I was particularly uh, uh, affected by these creatures genuinely believing that they're doing the right thing sure. and the enthusiastic willingness of the child to sacrifice sure. himself. Sure. This beat happens that I have to talk about sure. because it really hit me the way good science fiction hits mm -hmm. the audience, I, I, I think. At the end of this episode, Alora says, Pike's like, you sacrificed a kid. And Alora essentially goes, oh, like you didn't build your entire society on the backs of suffering children, mm -hmm. 21st century America. Right. And I was like, oh my God. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pike can sure. go, we don't do that. Right. Because in Star Trek, right. we, don't. we don't. And it's that moment yes. where we go, as people in the early 21st sure. century, we got work sure. to do. Well, uh, you know, to me, great science fiction and Star Trek to, is the paragon of this. Great science fiction is never about the future. Right, it's, it's always, always about, about what's happening present. right now. And Star Trek takes, you know, for, has always been, I've said this a million times, Star Trek has always, in every iteration has been a mirror to its moment in time. Yes. And right now, we are writing about all of the thing, all the division. But what I love about Star Trek, why I'm so inspired by Star Trek, is because it it's sort of a roadmap that says, if you follow this, all of these things that divide us are gonna be in the rearview mirror, but we have to get over them yeah. in order for our society to actually work. Yeah. And, uh, and I, lo I love that. I feel, I feel like it's that old adage of if you can't, if people can't see themselves, they, they don't know what to aspire to. You know, if they can't see themselves in, in represented on screen in some way or their beliefs represented, in some, it's very hard to know where to go. I don't think it is a coincidence that in 1966 we had a deeply divided, deeply unequal no, society, an insanely unpopular war, yep. um, um, un unspeakable corruption, yep. and Star Trek came along and really addressed those yep. experiences, and we're doing it again yeah, right sure. now. I, I, I feel like this is a moment in, the time, in time where the world needs Star Trek. We need Pike to tell us, I agree. you're on your way to the second civil war if you don't, I agree. If you don't grab the wheel and change I, it. I totally agree. And, and it feels like that's sort of our job. That's the job of anyone who's doing Star Trek, is to look at what's going on in the world and figure out a way to, to, to allegorically or metaphorically tell stories that make you think a little bit more about how you live your life. Um, one of the great similarities to the original Star Trek in this uh, comes, surprisingly, in the theme song. Yeah. Um, yeah. The gorgeous uh, 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 nod to the original series theme yeah. song with that theremin. Yeah. We've talked about sure. it on Ready Room because sure. like, I am obsessed it's with theremins I and I think it's great. I'm obsessed with them too. I love them. <laughs> Did you give Jeff Russo direction on that? Yeah. I mean, we, you know, in all of the different uh, theme songs that Jeff has written for the shows, and in this case, it's Jeff and Nami Melamud, who is, you know, I mean, she, I, I met Nami because Nami was, um, she, did, she composed one of our short treks. Mm -hmm. And um, she composed Michael Shabon's short trek. And it was, it was the Spock number one elevator short trek. And I heard her score. I, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, a, I'm just going to say it, an unbelievable nerd. Uh -huh. And all I do is listen to soundtracks. Mm -hmm. Like my whole life, that's, that's, all day long, that's all I do. And so I'm very... I can relate to this. <laughs> I feel like you can. Um, so I, I, I'm very like, I know what sounds different. Yeah. When I hear a sound, I'm like, oh, that's different. Or yeah. when I hear a particular thing, I go, that person, 
I see all the influences, but they're taking those influences and they're they're making it their own. There's something yeah. very special here. And when I heard Nami's score for that episode, I instantly knew that she was going to be a composer on on, on it, one, if not more, of our shows because she was she she had been mentored by Michael Giacchino, um, you know, who himself interpreted reinterpreted the the original um, the, the original themes, but then made them his own thing for our 2009 movie. And um, I, I loved, I think the challenge with each show is how do you touch on either the Courage theme or the Goldsmith theme yeah. or, you know, but make it its own thing. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's, I think, what Jeff and Nami did beautifully. At Star Trek Day, uh, Jeff and I had maybe 10 minutes backstage mm -hmm. and I was like, Jeff, I want to know everything about composing all of this. And he could not have been more excited <laughs> oh, to talk about he, he it and talk like about the inspirations. Yes, yes. And, and, well, he's and, like, same thing. Sa same, like, constant, you know, like a sponge. Every score, everything, every, you know, and, and all, all of that. Let's talk about the Gorn for a second. Great. And then we're going to get into the broader sure. Star Trek universe. Sure. So talk about evoking things. The Gorn are terrifying mm -hmm. in Strange New Worlds. Mm -hmm. I mean, terrifying mm -hmm. in ways that they are not yes. ever in any other Star Trek yeah. series. Sure. And um, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to spend a great deal of time on the Gorn in other episodes of The Ready Room because I'm yeah. blown away yeah, by them. Yeah, they're pretty, they're amazing. I have always felt that the ratio of popularity to on-screen of the Gorn has been wildly, wildly disproportionate, yeah, just totally. incredibly yeah, unbalanced. Yeah, yeah. Why is that blip so much bigger? Here you have this opportunity, sure. I am realizing yeah. as I'm watching this, yeah. Oh, we don't know anything about them. That's you right. can do whatever Literally you nothing. want, and yeah. they are so scary. effing yeah. scary. Totally. Just tell me about it. Sure. So, I mean, really, Akiva gets the credit for that because okay. the, one of the first things he said when we started the show was like, "The Gorn have to be they they have to be kind of the key, in some ways, the key bad guy of the season." And um, what instantly got me excited was that in the age of you know Game of Thrones, post Jurassic Park, the technology is there now mm -hmm. to to make the Gorn really scary yeah vivid and scary you know not just guys that you know a guy in a rubber in, suit, in, a rubber suit yeah. in front of the rocks yeah um, and so the trick was you know your first instinct is like let's do it as a full CG character my it's funny I the purist in me always wants to go to back to the kinds of movies that I was raised on which were these master filmmakers creating incredible like it, both puppetry mm -hmm. and you know um like it i it's funny i watched aliens again recently and mm -hmm. it's it's still pretty flawless mm -hmm. but part of why um and cameron understands this and spielberg understands this is that the way you light those things is everything and the duration of the shots is everything yeah if you overlight and you stick then your eye you know yeah you, you, nothing's more scary nothing. than what we build in so our imagination to, based on the exactly hits. right and yeah. you have to you have to tease it and you have to build it and obviously that precedent was set uh, in some ways by hitchcock but then jaws took it to a whole other level right because yeah, yeah. you're just seeing this rubber fin in the water but your brain is inventing what's underneath the surface so yeah. when you see the shark even though you might go, well, that doesn't exactly look like a real shark. You're, you, you have utterly accepted it at that point. And so the same game you play with the Gorn, which is, okay, we can't actually afford to do full CG characters because mm -hmm. that's a wildly expensive proposition. Mm -hmm. So on a television budget, so how do you 
how do you merge the two, right? Mm -hmm. How do you use PubTree and how do you use CG? Mm -hmm. And in what way and how do you light it? And all of those things play into hopefully creating a, a, an experience where you, A, you can't tell the difference between them, but B, um, it feels vivid and real and scary. Um, we uh, we haven't seen very much of the Gorn yep. thus far this season. We're yep. about halfway through. Yep. We have heard a lot about them. Yep. We are scared to death of them. So no spoilers. Yep. Uh, uh, I think the I think the appropriate answers to this will be yes, no, or pass. Okay. More Gorn this year. Yes. Okay. Excellent. <laughs> Let's move on okay. to the entire Star Trek universe. <laughs> I am required by the agreements. Mm. To, uh, to ask you uh, a number of questions about the, the broader Star Trek universe, and I really want to start okay. with the animated series. Okay. I'm a massive fan of Star Trek Lower Decks. Mm -hmm. My nephew, who is 10, is a massive fan of Star Trek Prodigy, which mm -hmm. thrills me because I feel like Prodigy is this incredible sure. way to bring kids sure. to Star Trek, yep. and I think that's incredibly excited. Um, as a visual storyteller yeah. yourself, how fun has it been for you to do Star Trek through animation? I mean, it's unbelievable. I think that one of the things I love most about both the live action and the animation is that we live in this moment now where the line between movies and television is totally gone. Yes. And so it's incumbent on us as filmmakers to, to give you an experience that has all the scope and scale of a movie but has the, all the intimacy of a story you can tell over a long period of time. And, and, and for me, a, a, in, in thinking about the architecture of the universe in general, my whole thing has been these shows we need to think of as different color crayons in the same box. Okay. Right? So... How many crayons are in the box? Is uh, it a 64-pack? I suppose... It, sure. Let's say okay. it's a 64-pack. All right. But I think the idea is that you want everything to be individual. You want it to have its own unique identity. And yes. yet you want to understand that it's part of the same kind of storytelling. So that things aren't off-key and you're like, wait, I don't know, like... Is that Star Trek? I don't know. I feel like for the brand identity of Star Trek, there have to be certain fundamentals that apply to all of them. But once those fundamentals are applied, a sort of a universal vision of optimism, yeah. a sense that science is really the way to solve problems, the bridge crew as a family, the things that are the keys, I think, to why Star Trek has endured for so long. Once you've done that, you can then start playing in really interesting, weird ways, right? Do you get to have these meetings where you sit down with showrunners mm -hmm. and you have a discussion about the values of Star Trek, mm -hmm. the philosophy sure. of Star Trek, and we these are so I presume that the showrunners come to you and say, Alex, this is our this is my pitch mm -hmm. for this season of mm -hmm. Star Trek, blah blah blah. Mm -hmm. And then somebody else comes and says, mm -hmm. This is my pitch for blah blah blah. Mm -hmm. And then you kind of have to run it through the filter, mm -hmm. right? Like, yeah. you know, yeah. the, you gotta do A B testing to sure. get all the get all the sure. way through it. Um uh as someone who just genuinely enjoys Star Trek, yeah. I imagine that getting to have those kind of like philosophical Algonquin roundtable discussions mm -hmm. about Star Trek, yeah. that must be super cool. It is. It, it is. It's funny. Every time it happens, I'm always like, this is really like, it's so cool that this is our job. You know, it's what we, we did as fans before we Absolutely. did it for work, right? Absolutely. Like you'd sit around and you'd be like, okay, could you imagine if this, and you, you play with your toys, right? So we all get to play with our toys together, <laughs> you know, once a month. Um, it's a, it's an essential part of the process in terms of the world build because 
we want to make sure we're not smashing into each other. We yeah. want to make sure we're building on each other, right? So there are things in Picard that are set up that pay off in Discovery. There are things that we set up in Discovery that we can then go back and retrofit in, in seasons that haven't been written yet of other shows. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I love that. And, and all of our show, it's very important that each showrunner has their own individual take on what they love about Star Trek while, of course, you know, embracing the fundamentals. But I feel like you, you want everybody to be different. You don't want the same thing in every show. Have you ever had to adjudicate two different shows coming to you with like yes. very similar I arcs have. or character beats or whatever? Yes. Is yes. that, that feels, I would it's feel weird. terrible about that. It's like, weird. But I, you know, I don't see myself ultimately as the ultimate arbiter of those things, right? Okay. Like if two, if two shows want to use different iterations, for example, of the same ship, mm-hmm. right? But what does that mean canonically? And like, will that violate something? I then go to certain people and say, okay, I need your opinion on this and your opinion on this. And like, what is it? What are the consequences? What are fans going to think? What does it potentially negate, which we don't want to do? Right. It's a whole conversation. So it's a, it's a bunch of people who contribute to making that decision at the end of the day. I won't just want to billboard this for the audience. The level of care that is going into ensuring that this all works, yeah. that it all holds up, is remarkable. Mm. Um, and it's extremely laudable. Um, uh, I'm, I'm, as someone who loves this the way that I do, I'm just really grateful that thank you're doing you. that. Well, thank you. I mean, I, it, I wish I could take all the credit, but that would be totally wrong. There's so many people who are, um, who, who love it as much as you do, yeah. you know, and really, really want it to synchronize in the right way. And it's hard. 55 years of stuff, it's hard. There's kind of no way not to hit up against something at some point. Right. Right. Like something isn't gonna, you know work at some point and so all you can do is your best to try and make sure that everything is is aligned throughout 55 years there have been moments that contradict each other uh, sometimes even in the same episode and the thing i'm thinking of is uh lower decks doing an incredible extended riff on on uh, all the ways they mangled the pronunciation of Mugato, right, you know, and right. just changing that like <laughs> Right. So I was reading up on the Mugatos. Did you know they have alternative pronunciations? Mugatu, Mugutu, and Gumato? Isn't that neat and inconsistent? Uh, I really love Lower Decks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it is a genuinely wonderful Star Trek series. I do too. I it tells it. genuinely wonderful Star Trek stories with a real unique and special point of view. Yep. Um, and inside of all of that, it is also a love letter to the next generation. 100%. It is just, yep. just every episode yep. is just some expression of adoration. Yep. It's yep. John Cusack with the boombox. Totally. You know, for it next is. Generation. It's exactly what it is. <laughs> and um, like a lot of us that love it, we've got our, our moments that we think are great, that we're crazy yeah, about. Sure. You know, like the, the, for me, it's like the offhand passing reference to Parisi's squares that never comes up again. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. ah, yeah, yeah. I know what that yeah, is. Yeah. I played that. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So I'm wondering if you have a, is there a reference or something that you really like? Is there a, uh, if you had just like, oh man, I would love it if they did. Do you get to do that sort of thing? You know, I, I don't think I could identify one specific one because there's, I mean, every episode is filled with 10 million of them. Yeah, of course. And, 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 and it was very clear to me from the beginning that Mike was everything you just articulated, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, he wrote the unwritten, you know, next, next oh, uh, TNG season of season TNG. season eight is one of my favorite it's things of all time. unbelievable. And just based on that alone, I knew when he was walking in, I was like, whatever he has, it's going to be something special. That's incredible. Um, but, you know, uh, he do, the thing that really struck me the most about his approach, and it is the it is actually weirdly the thing that would make or break a show like Lower Decks, 
is that he never wanted to punch down on Star Trek, yeah. right? He, you can laugh with, you can't laugh at. Yeah, absolutely. And the best, the you know, we like early on we talked about how in some ways I think Galaxy Quest is the best Star Trek movie. It is right? hands down the best because Star Trek movie. It is reverent. It you know it laughs with, it never laughs at, and never. at the end of the day, the structure of the storytelling is a great Star Trek story. It is, yeah. You know? And I saw that Mike was really wanting to do his version of that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, let's move over to Picard. Okay. Picard season two told this classic Star Trek story about redemption and forgiveness. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was so moving to me to watch Picard evolve in this deeply personal way, to see the childhood trauma yeah. he survived and how yeah. it shaped him yeah. and made him into the man that we all absolutely love. Um, I cannot tell you how much it means to me that I was given the gift of being a very small part of Picard and that I was given the opportunity to return to the universe canonically in that particular way. Um, I know that at least some of my TNG family is returning to Picard for season three. Do you want to talk about that at all? Sure, well let me start, let me start, I, I want to ask you a question which is, you know, what was it like to come back? It was amazing. It was more emotionally overwhelming than I was prepared for. Um, I worked with Issa, who I like and respect and admire so very, very yeah. much. And that was an interesting experience for me. Having a scene with her gave me a very different experience than having a scene with Patrick or Gates sure. Sure. Uh, uh, or, or Frakes would, mm -hmm. right? Um, I am coming to terms with the reality that I am a member of legacy Star Trek and that all of your shows, mm -hmm. the current Star Trek universe is sort of standing on the shoulders of a thing we started building about absolutely. 35 years ago, like absolutely. we crawled so y'all can walk. Like, that's we, right. you know, that's, it's amazing and I absolutely right. love it. For me, it was incredibly symbolic and very special and incredibly meaningful to come to Star Trek as a different version of Wesley Crusher mm -hmm. who says to Corey, do you wanna come do this thing with me? Mm -hmm that really mirrors the way I said to Issa on the very first ready room when she came in, mm. I know what it is like to be a young person on Star Trek. Mm -hmm. And I know what it is like to live with that. Yeah. And if I can ever be anything to you at all in that regard, I am always here. Mm -hmm. And I've shared that with some, so of the, lovely. some of the other young cast members. George and Jimmy and Walter and Nichelle mm -hmm. all did that for us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it meant so much to me. Yeah. I want to carry on that tradition and like pay that forward. That's amazing, Well, I mean, that's just incredible. I, I think yes to what you said and we were so aware that we were standing on your shoulders. It's a big deal what you did, not, you. For, not just for the people who watched the show at the time, but for many generations that came afterwards. The legacy, the endurance of that show and what it built on in, 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 from TOS, in many ways it's just such a different show, um, is extraordinary. And it's an emotional thing for people to, to, to deal with. I can't even imagine what it was like for you to go back to doing it. A thing that I, 
I say I love on this show all the time because yeah. I genuinely love Star Trek, and if there yeah. were other words to use, I would. I yeah. feel like a bad writer in that I am using <laughs> the same words over and over again, but there's just, there's not, I'm sure there's a German word that expresses the incredible complex range of emotions I feel when I, yeah. when I think about yeah. this. Um, I, uh, I absolutely love that um, the version of Wesley that now exists canonically matches up 100% one-to-one with my headcanon. Because I've written fan fiction about Wesley as a traveler. Because I love thinking of him as a traveler because in many ways, my journey and Wesley's journey Mm -hmm. are incredibly similar Mm -hmm. just by coincidence. Mm -hmm. And it's, it was, it was very meaningful for me as an actor, as a person, as a member of the Star Trek family Mm -hmm. to have the opportunity to express all of that in a way that gave me closure as a human being wow. um, and uh, uh, allowed me to experience what Wesley always deserved from me that I was incapable, incapable of giving him when I was a kid because I didn't know any better. It took 30 years, but it is realized. Yeah, no, I think that's beautiful. And I like, it's beautiful for me on two levels. A, because you feel that the character was, we did justice to the character, but for you personally, to have come to the place of feeling like I got to put a period on the end of that sentence and it was very satisfying. Yeah. If you honestly, uh, if if the show had worked but you didn't feel the way you feel, to me it would have been a failure. Um, you know, a way that I could describe it is that it's like uh, for the longest time I felt like this was a book I wanted to close. Yeah. And coming to be Wesley as the traveler, mm-hmm. instead of wanting to close the book, what I want to do more than anything else in my life is turn the page and see what comes next. Next, wow. And I never thought I would feel that way. That's amazing, well maybe that'll happen. Uh, I'm, uh, listen, I know a guy. <laughs> Let's talk about Discovery. <laughs> okay. Season four Discovery uh, took boldly going where no one has gone before quite literally yes, as they left sure the did. galaxy <laughs> and we met an extra galactic species. Yes. That was incredible. Yes. Um, season four just the DMA as mm-hmm. as metaphor was incredible. Mm-hmm. I talked to Michelle about mm-hmm. that, and it was amazing. Mm-hmm. And 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 I think risky. I think very mm-hmm. risky because we didn't know how the pandemic was going to go. Sure, it could have been real tone deaf yep. as it turned out, yep, and yep. it ended up being, mm-hmm. in for me, mm-hmm. celebratory mm-hmm. and inspirational, mm-hmm. and 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 uh, and what we want from Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have thoughts about yeah. season four's development? Yeah, I mean, you know, Michelle has been such an incredible partner to me. And um, I really trust her leadership skills and her sense and understanding of Star Trek. Mm -hmm. And it kind of goes back to what you were talking about about this week's episode. Um, You think one thing at the beginning for lots of reasons, but as you begin to unpack the story, you realize actually, no, it's this totally other thing. And that was really where we started Mm -hmm. um, with season four was this horrendous, horrendous thing that seems like, and then the more you unpack it, the more it seems like there was intention behind it, and the more you think that, you know, there are villains out there who are doing something incredible, and then you begin to understand, no, there's a lot more to the story than that, which then raises, it calls in the question, how do we react before we have the full knowledge of something? It made me think about how are we wrecking some other species' exactly. uh, uh, fundamental right mm-hmm. to exist right. in ways that we are completely unaware that's right. of. That's right. Um, and I like it when Star Trek makes me think. Totally. I mean, that's one of the, I think, key tenets. 
Can we look forward to any crossovers? Yes. I'm not following that up because the way you answered that was incredible. Oh, I want to follow that up so much. But the way you answered that tells me that the answer to any follow-up is I'm not telling you. That's exactly so right. We're gonna, yes, I'm just exactly going right. to go ahead and just see, bathe see, see in that this is. incredible yeah. excitement I'm currently feeling. Okay. Um, uh, I have this written down as a follow-up question, and I'm just going to read it to you, okay. although we have already discussed okay. this. If there were a Star Trek character who could exist independent of space, time, and thought, you would absolutely send that character to every series, right? Absolutely. Okay, great. That is <laughs> no the question. Answer. That is the correct answer. Yes, 10 points for Alex. Yay. All right, next question. <laughs> um, we are thrilled that a second season of Strange New Worlds has already been yeah, greenlit. That's excellent. amazing. Yeah. It is unsurprising to me, but I know that we always go, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, is there anything you want to tease at all about the continued adventures of the Enterprise? Um, I guess the best tease that I could give you is that there are obviously characters who exist on TOS who are not yet on the show. Yeah. So given that there's a kind of five-year window before Kirk would have taken over the Enterprise. Yes. Five or seven. I've lost now. I've lost track. Um, others may show up. Okay. <laughs> All right. Seems like so a fair team. Things are yeah. turning yeah. in my head. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, you have given us so much of your time. Oh, it's my pleasure. And I am so very grateful to you my, for I'm all so of it. I could to take, you, honestly. I could take another hour of it. <laughs> Me too. Uh, uh, I want to give you an opportunity, and you can absolutely just say, no, I'm good. Sure. Um, we are talking to people who love Star Trek. Mm -hmm. like, like the people who make it possible for us to have these yeah. amazing lives. Yeah. Are, are there, is there anything you want to say to him directly? Well, as the guy who sits at the top of everything we love? I think that one of the things I love so much about Star Trek's endurance is that it has endured, it literally survived cancellation because of the fans, right? And yeah. so it's easy to, to pay lip service and to say, well, the fans, the fans, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, of which we, uh, both you and I, even before we were involved in Star Trek, considered ourselves to be. Yeah. Um, everyone is really being listened to. Having having been in all the writers' rooms, yeah. I, I can promise you, I can promise everybody, that the articles that are written, the things that people are saying, are always being discussed in those rooms. And, you know, from the I hated it to I loved it. Yeah. They're all being discussed. We are well known for our opinions. Oh, about for sure. Things. And by the way, I think that's, I, I have come to learn in my experience, and you know, other people may say differently, but I feel like if you're at 50%, you're doing well, right? For because sure. the, 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 one of the, I think the points of being a Trekker or a Trekkie or however you self identify yeah. is that you want to engage in that debate. I yeah. love this. I hated that. I love this, you know, and that connection between people is part of what the fandom is about. If you're at 90 people, percent of the people hate it and 10 love it, then I think you're in trouble. Yeah. Right? And so we're, we're always, but I think our ability to try and avoid those odds is to listen, to always listen, because I can tell you, and I speak for every showrunner, 
we see ourselves as temporary carriers of this. We are not the owners of Star Trek. We did not create Star Trek. We are the people who are holding the precious egg <laughs> and trying not to drop it yeah. until we can hand it on to the next person who will take it. And because every generation, I, you know, I look at the way my son sees the world or the way he, one day someone from his generation is going to take Star Trek and that yeah. will be appropriate. Yeah. Because I will have aged away from it, and now it's time for somebody else to do it. And my hope is that in my tenure here, I can find the right people to put in place so that there's a nice, stable transition when the time comes. But none of us are under any illusions about it being ours. It actually belongs to two, Gene Roddenberry and the fans. And that's just the truth. I'm going to very presumptuously speak for all of fandom. <laughs> and I and I am going to say thank you for being such a wonderful, mindful caretaker of something that means so much to so many that is bigger than all of us. It is. It's much bigger than all of us. I really appreciate that, especially from you. Thank, thank you, Alex. Thank you. Thank you so much. In this week's episode, we're introduced to Captain Pike's former flame, Alora, who is another of Pike's known love interests seen in both the original series and Star Trek Discovery. Is it A, Dila, B, Vina, C, Shauna, or D, Una? Don't boldly go anywhere. Stay tuned for the answer. Y'all, getting to talk to Alex Kurtzman in 2022 is like getting to talk to George Lucas in 1982. It is a very big deal, and we are very lucky that he gave us so much of his time and so much insight into the Star Trek universe, including this week's fantastic episode of Strange New Worlds, Lift Us Up Where Suffering Cannot Reach. What a great Star Trek title that is. It presents an excellent example of Starfleet encountering a situation where all is not what it seems. We have a utopian society with advanced medicine, no disease, and a gorgeous floating cloud garden world, all maintained at a very disturbing cost. Some of the best Star Trek episodes leave us dizzy with their final moments and keep us thinking long after they've ended. So here are a few other episodes to check out if you're craving a good twist. It's okay. He can see. In episode six of Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Captain Pike is thunderstruck to discover the Majolan Society is keeping an astonishing secret. Stop it. Full of shocking revelations, surprising reversals, and sneaky red herrings, Star Trek has never been afraid to leave audiences open-mouthed. If you're looking to be stunned, phasers aside, here are a few Star Trek episodes with twists you won't see coming. That changes everything. Something like that, consensus coming, block us, move when we move, it beats me. The original series episode, The Corbomite Maneuver, sees Captain Kirk and the Enterprise crew facing down a menacing cube called the Fisarius, led by its unnerving leader, Balok. There is no escape. Threatened with imminent destruction, Kirk risks the lives of his crew on a bluff. As it turns out, he isn't the only one keeping a secret. I'm Baylock. Welcome aboard. We will have to move quickly if we are to be successful. Successful? 
Yes. In preventing a Klingon civil war. A cliffhanger episode is naturally suspenseful. But the final moments of Star Trek The Next Generation Season 4 finale are especially shocking. In Redemption, the new leader of the Klingon High Council faces opposition from the Duras sisters. What no one knows is that an unexpected foe, several seasons in the making, is the real mastermind. Computer, did it just get colder in here? Negative. The Star Trek Voyager episode, Course Oblivion, could be described as one long twist. The Voyager crew first appear to be the officers we know and love, but as crew members start dying, an alarming truth around their identities becomes clear. It all culminates in a somber but provocative ending. Computer, prepare to eject the warp core. To do what you're asking would use up every resource I have left on Cardassia. And it may be a very messy, very bloody business. Are you prepared for that? As one of Starfleet's most honorable officers, Captain Sisko of Star Trek Deep Space Nine is the last person one would expect to fall prey to the misdeeds of war. But in the season six episode, In the Pale Moonlight, Sisko himself relays just how far into a moral gray area he is willing to go for the Dominion War. And it's further than anyone could imagine. Tell me the truth, all of it. Even better, I can show you. While the adventures of Dal and the makeshift crew of the Protostar and Star Trek Prodigy provide plenty of fun and surprises, the two-part mid-season finale keeps the audience guessing as to whether the crew will succeed in their rescue mission. In the end, however, the Diviner's shocking reveal to his progeny Gwyn steals the show and changes everything she thought she knew. Star Trek provides curveballs aplenty in its vast universe, and who knows what other revelations the future holds for Captain Pike and his crew. In this week's episode, we're introduced to Captain Pike's former flame, Alora, who is another of Pike's known love interests, seen in both the original series and Star Trek Discovery. Dila, Vina, Shauna, or Una? And the answer is Vina. Following the events of the TOS episode, The Cage, Vina and Captain Pike reunite in the Discovery episode, If Memory Serves, where Vina reveals she'd spent a lifetime with Pike in one of the Talosians' illusions. It's just impossible to not get worked up for a new episode of Star Trek Strange New Worlds with each and every ready room discussion I have. I am very confident you all feel the same way, so I am as excited as you are each week for a sneak peek. Here it is. Take a look at episode seven. We picked up a distress signal on a nearby asteroid field. Could the colonists have the capacity to send one, even without their ships? It's possible, but I've also heard of pirates setting ambushes by cloning ship signals. Exactly what I told the captain. And I reminded Mr. Spock that regulation still strongly suggests that we investigate any distress signal. Yellow alert. Erica, take us closer, please. How close do you want to get? First date or third date? Blind date. 
copy. Proceeding with caution, sir. growing stronger, but I have yet to detect a vessel of any kind. Red alert, full stop. Looks like a net. Except, you know, made of lasers. It's formed by multiple asteroids equipped with high-energy electromagnetic reflectors. Recommend we do not cross one of the beams. What happens when we do? At best, it will shut down the ship. And at worst? Kaboom? Indeed. We should avoid the laser net. Space pirates? Okay, I'm into space pirates. Count me in. I look forward to next week's episode and getting to discuss it together. Thank you so much for joining me today in the Ready Room. Next week, Jess Bush, Nurse Chapel, will trade sick bay for the Ready Room to talk with me about next week's episode, The Serene Squall. Until then, I'm Will Wheaton. Live long and prosper.